Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 188 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lizzie Wright. Lizzie is a female-focused online health and fitness coach whose mission is to educate and empower women from all walks of life. Lizzie shifted from the corporate world in 2016 whilst in Singapore, where she noticed the lack of female-centered coaches and has been traveling down that path ever since, helping women thrive from the inside out. I really thoroughly enjoyed every moment of this conversation with Lizzie. She's more than just your run-of-the-mill coach and her authenticity and commitment to her mission shines through in everything she does. In this conversation, you can expect to learn how Lizzie has navigated a predominantly male industry, her take on courage, confidence, and honesty, and Lizzie's top three reads along with much, much more. So without further ado, Lizzie Wright. Lizzie Wright, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. Thank you on this Thursday evening. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And I'm sure it's a little darker outside than what you're used to. 6 p.m. Yeah. It gets dark at seven in Singapore. So yeah, a little bit too early. So I'm waiting for the summer months to come in now and show me what the UK is a bit about rather than the winter, the winter months. Yeah. I think the, uh, the UK doesn't show its best light in the winter, but when it comes to a summer in the UK, I think that's quite, there's something special about a summer in the UK. But yeah, I haven't had that for a while, actually. I I've missed that the last couple of years. So I am ready for it this year. Yeah. And on that note, for those who have may not come across you before, who are you and what is it that you do? Who am I? Um, my name is Lizzie and I am from the UK, but I have recently just moved back from living in Southeast Asia, uh, specifically Singapore for the last eight years. I've been on a journey throughout that point. So I moved to Singapore when I was 23. I hold a background in track and athletics. That was like my teenage years and sports crazy nut into all of those things. And before getting to Singapore, I studied fashion marketing and branding. So kind of off piste of what and where I am now. The marketing and branding definitely plays a part in in who I am and where I'm at now um, with the business I'm building. But yeah, uh, Singapore was kind of uh, 23 years old. Moved there with my ex-boyfriend at the time, just come back from backpacking. Like that was a life goal of mine in my early 20s. Sure. Yeah, I moved to Singapore at the age of 23. And the rest of the journey has been like the last eight years has been an incredible eight years of 
absolute growth and kind of not turning my back on who I know I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. Would I know where I ended up now? Absolutely not. I had no idea what that would look like eight years ago. But I didn't stop because I followed a feeling and I followed something that kind of got me going, set me on fire and everything like that. So Singapore, basically, I was working a few jobs that I absolutely hated. I was cold calling uh, for a number of part of it because I literally just wanted a visa. But all of those steps interlinked and intertwined because the places where I did work, they actually, some guys were hiring from the gym that I ended up working for. Um, so I would just say the power of like people and the contacts that you have, it's like, it doesn't matter what industry kind of like you're working in, there's always a navigation or a loop or connections that you can make to kind of get into that space. So yeah, so it was six years ago that I then managed to, or decided to get qualified as a PT and I was doing the marketing for that gym that I got hired for and literally it's been the best six years of my life. I never used to think PT or coaching was a career for me. I thought, cool, you can do the sport as your hobby and everything like that. You're going to be a CEO of XYZ. But really what I found and kind of became true to me was it wasn't about chasing the money. It wasn't about all these big titles. It was about doing something for me and a bigger purpose to help people out there in the world who are struggling in areas that I relish in and that I absolutely love and have the biggest passion for. So coaching has literally become my life and it's like the easiest place to go to work every day because I absolutely love the connection and what it brings when you're with all different walks of life and people and having that impact is is the best thing I've ever done for myself and everyone around me. Beautiful answer. And with that being said, we will step back to your decision-making process. But I want to go forward, actually, and ask you, because if sometimes I think about this to myself as well, it's like, how long can you be a coach for? And I guess mm. the answer is to be answered by the individual itself. But do you see this as something you're going to be doing for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Or do you think it's going to somehow evolve? I always think there's evolving. The intention there would be to coach and have that impact on people lifelong. Like there were, I won't be changing careers directly anytime soon uh, or in the future. But I think for me, yeah, coaching is for life. There's nothing else out there that I would rather be doing with my time, with my day. Obviously, you never know. I think things can change and you can navigate and I'm open to those scenarios. And obviously, as we grow and develop, you don't know whose path you're going to cross or what you're going to be able to create. So for me, it's definitely going to be there for the future for sure yeah i guess uh you know the direction you're going in but whichever routes take you to that direction it's yet to be seen right yes exactly yeah amazing and coming back to that decision making process of heading to singapore at 23 Mm. i'm always very curious about people's decision making when it comes to big life changes and the first one was obviously going to singapore and the next one is returning to the uk so you can talk us through your decision making process on both of those big transitions Yeah, I think the difference between the going and then the coming back, it was a lot easier to leave to go to there than it was to come back. Two things really, obviously, for me, it was the age, the maturity and the experience I then had to come back. I think my youth was more of like, screw it, let's go. I didn't see any threats or anything. All I saw was opportunity and something cool and something new and something different. And I always had in my plan I don't have a proper plan before we even start to dive into that. Anything that the plan was as simple as I want to work in London for a bit and I want to work abroad. 
and I don't care where it is abroad, but I want to get experience and I want to work abroad. So the going there, as far as I recall and remember, was pretty easy. So I'd just come back from traveling through Asia. I'd never actually been to Singapore before, so I'd done ev- all the countries around it. Um, come back and then my boyfriend at the time was like, I've, so I've got a job. Uh, I've just been offered this in Singapore. And I was like, okay, do you want me to come with you? Is this an option? And he was like, yes, I would love you too, but it has to be on your terms. So we were quite like, we communicated a lot about it and I wanted to go on my terms. I didn't want to be reliant on him and I didn't want him to ever feel guilt if it didn't work out for me. So it's a big transition, but also I went there, I quit my job in the UK and went there without a job. One of his friends he used to work with, his girlfriend had literally done the same thing as me, like six weeks earlier. And she literally, she'd landed this job. So we had this connection and there's a, there's something about an expat community is everyone's there to help you because we're all doing the same thing and moving away. And there's a whole community of, doesn't matter what country you're kind of coming from, but everyone knows you're away from home. So everyone's there to support. And I had so many people trying to help get me a job and they didn't even know who I was. And I was 23 and my experience wasn't huge, you know? So like the job role in itself, it was cold calling for a wealth management company. And I mean, we both absolutely hated it. I was there for six months and I, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, <laughs> but going back to then what you said, so the the decision going at 23, um, I had my youth and I literally just saw it as an amazing opportunity to be in a completely different place. Uh, I packed a suitcase, met my boyfriend out there and literally kept on grinding and grinding until I needed to and got to where I wanted to be. The transition to, I think we spoke about before, is the transition to the UK this time was hard. It was a lot harder than I really anticipated or gave myself the space for. So for me, it was, I always wondered, when will I leave Singapore? Will it be something I actually will leave or am I going to be here forever? There's this whole concept that you're going to, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be there for two years. That's it. Cool. And then I'm going to come home and do this. Like my two years kept on rolling every single year. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not coming home, mom. I'm not coming home yet. No, I'm good. I'm enjoying it. And then obviously COVID hit and it just made me really reassess like what I wanted my life to look like, who I wanted to be surrounded by or who I wanted to be close to because I hadn't seen my family for two and a half years. So up until this point at Christmas. So the decision came quite easy when it was just so strict in Singapore that I was just like, I'm done. Like, but I need to create the plan to get out. So my planning process was great to get out and how I kind of got everything ready and prepared with that. But then I think it was more of the, I hadn't prepared for, and I don't think you can really, what it was like to be back in the UK. So like the complete weather shock, the cultural shock, the kind of fitness scene or personal trainers and like in my industry, it was so different on all levels. And I've gone from a big city living girl to this is nothing wrong to my mum and dad if they ever tuned in. I've gone back to a little village in the dark winter months of the UK. It's freaking cold and living with my mum and dad. So it's like there's pros and cons of all of it, but it was just such transition that it's really taken, it's taken the last two months to get my head around. I can imagine. And it's interesting that when we do look at these decisions that seem really exciting, we do highlight the upsides a lot and we 
maybe don't assess the downsides quite as much. But even with that being said, I don't think it's quite possible to really get yourself prepared for all of the challenges that you were going to face. There was no way that, I mean, maybe you could have bought a few extra jackets and scarves, but apart from that, like you can't prepare yourself for those type of things aside from just a little bit of mental preparation. But I think you just have to go through it. But no, that's, that's really interesting. And with the UK moving forward, is this somewhere you want to stay permanently or is going abroad on the agenda once again? Abroad, for sure. It's in my it's in my blood. It's in my character. It's yeah. I'm still still in this infancy space of figuring those bits out. But the reason why I did leave Singapore was the life I wanted to create. So with Singapore, I'm I'm not stuck there, but I'm tied to or bound to having a visa. Yes. Right. So UK, I'm not bound to having a visa because it's where I live and where I come from. So for me, I wanted to follow suit and follow through with finding freedom and growth. And for me, this year is all about travel, making connections, meeting people from all around the world, connecting more with my home ground in the UK and really learning from people who are smashing it in the industry. Because for me, it's like Singapore is amazing. There's so much potential there, but we kind of, or for me personally, it's you're becoming a big fish in a small pond. And there was still so much growth I could have in Singapore but then what happens when I eventually might want to come back and I might be 37, 38. And for me, I was like, look, you're single, you're 31 and you can do it at any point. There's no age or whatever around it. But for me, I was like, this is the right time because I can always go back. But for me, yeah, coming to the UK now and surrounding myself with people, there's just so many, you know, like it, but it's so the times I've just visited London recently is exhilarating. Like it's been amazing and speaking to and seeing so many people like me has been so cool, you know, like it's been overwhelming, but it's also shown me how much of a small fish I am in such a big pond. But probably in a very good way though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, like it's, I'd say words that come in is overwhelming, but it's also so exciting because it's like, I could see where I can be if not more, or where else I want to be. And where do you want to be? Oh, there we go. (laughs) It's good. Thank you. Putting me on the spot with really trying to change focus on my uh, drive. For me, it is simple. The mission is changing the lives of women. I work with men, but my main focus is women to change the narratives, to really set the education level on behavior. I feel like the industry is so focused on weight loss, fat loss, and that's no disregard to any goals surrounding that. But I also want to help women understand the behaviors in which they take action on. So for me, it's not just a weight loss program. It's not just, I'm not qualified for a diet plan, but I'm not willing to just focus on those things because for me, the mission is behavioral change with everything but also moving away from the space of it being a beauty contest and all about how I'm looking. I want it to turn internally before we look externally. And for me, a big part of my journey with the ladies I work with, especially before COVID, was taking the ladies to adventures around the world. So for me, it's global on retreats. And those retreats are adventure retreats and escapes. So going to Kilimanjaro, going to Nepal, going to Mont Blanc, but also in the UK base. So 
teaming up with other coaches that I want to kind of take that to the next level who I resonate with. But yeah, so it's two focus. It's the coaching and it's the global retreats. But I want to be able to reach as many women as I can possibly to change that narrative. That was a pretty solid answer for me putting you on the spot there. (laughs) (laughs) Good. It always like when you're trying to get the words in your head, you're just like, right, okay, focus. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And you mentioned a little bit about why specifically women's health. Mm. Does that come down to your transitions in your own journey? Because I know you mentioned you've got a background in track and then I've seen photos of you mentioning yourself at your heaviest when you kind of blew up in your own words for your ultra marathon, if I'm correct in saying. And then the transition to where you find yourself around now in a more comfortable position with both your physique, but more so your health and your well-being as well. So is that where that's kind of stemming from? Or is it also seeing the challenge that females are having to navigate within the industry right now with the current narrative that's at play? Yeah, I think there's there's a few different elements that really came from it for me. I think initially there's just been experiences with me in my life. And obviously these are very personal to me, but in terms of being undersold as a female on certain occasions. So one's, it's nothing to do with fitness, but I was in a very toxic relationship, a very verbally abusive relationship when I was in my early 20s. And that really stemmed an initial kind of grounding of where I'm at and why it is for women, because in that relationship, I lost myself. And I was young, I was naive, but I was following a route of this lustful, crazy kind of relationship. But at the same time, this person had absolute control of how I felt on a day-to-day basis. And for me, that made me feel the most weakest I've ever felt. So that was an initial driver and part of my story and who I am in terms of I was 20 around that time, like as my best years at university. But I've done the work since around that basis of overcoming that space, being able to allow more people to come in. But also I see it, I see it now within current clients how partners, not necessarily just male, but how friendships, partners, how they're sold short and they're made to feel a certain way about themselves, whether it's physically or challenging their kind of internal dialogue. Like for me, I was challenged on what I was wearing, what my underwear was like, what my physique was like, what am I doing this for? You know, like I was challenged all the time and that just really, it just put that doubt in my head. And from that moment when that relationship ended, I was like, I will never let anyone make me feel like that again. And I think that really put that kind of drive in me in the sense of I did go the other way and I really closed off at one point. Um, But then I realized, okay, we need to find that neutral space on there. But I think for me, that was a massive driver because it's relatable in so many instances. It's not just a relationship with a man. It could be something in your work. It could be something with a group of female friends. It could be something with someone saying you're fat or you're overweight or like how people are able to treat other human beings in such a way. And typically it comes from their own insecurities and their own experiences that they feel it's okay to treat another human being or another woman in this regard that way. So for me, it was all then became, that was the underlying message. And then it came from when I really was coaching with my women in Singapore I just noticed a lot of these themes coming through. So it didn't matter. It wasn't just necessarily a relationship, but it was all these narratives that they've been told for so long that they're not good enough or you have to be skinny to be sexy or you have to eat certain foods to be valuable or like those scales are going to dictate how good you're doing on your journey. 
for me, it's trying to move away from all of those things. Like they can be relevant and they, depending on the person, right? So for me, the message just became to help every single woman who's going through it, not just to give them a diet plan, not just to give them a training program. It's about the whole emotional energy and it's the behavior and understanding how we can get to be so vulnerable, but how it can make us stronger. Because I really struggled with getting vulnerable with people that I put a shield. But in the last few years, that's something I've really worked on being more open, being more in touch and vulnerability I found hard. It's again trying to help women uncover that and create a safe space for themselves. Wow. <laughs> no, that, that's a great answer and I think it, it's really refreshing to hear when you know you, you speak with a coach and they kind of have a vague answer on how they want to help people and how they want to help people lose weight but when you go that deep it's a completely different level and you have every reason to run in the other direction and just close yourself off and just be like I'm just going to look after me myself and I because of I need to put my shield up against the world but the fact that you like you mentioned you're leaning into your vulnerability now and providing that for other women who need it. I think that's pretty inspirational. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's, um, again, COVID really put me at a standstill to really look inwards next level. I was already doing the work in terms of what I was reading, who I was talking to, surrounding myself with different information to actually look at it from a different opinion. Because I was always known, I think one of my nicknames at one point was Ice Queen. And I was like, brilliant. That's exactly what I want to be called, not. And then when I realized and when I was doing a lot more of research and everything into it, it was just really showing my lack of vulnerability. Like, don't get me wrong, I was to certain people at certain points, but I was always known as the one who had a shield up or had a, like, it was hard to kind of get in. Whereas now I'm like, I'll be hugging. I'm like saying, I love you. Like, I can't stop myself now. But it's, um, I think it just creates that safe space for women to know they don't, one, have to chase fat loss or weight loss goals to make them adequate. And I think it's just super important that for me, it's just cutting through all the bullshit that we've been told for so long as women in a society of, I mean, if we look through all the different decades and everything of what sexy was, like it changes every single decade. It's like someone's got a trend book on our bodies and it's more than that. We've got to find that inner strength and inner power within us of what makes us tick, what makes us happy. Like, I don't want to die worrying about what my body looked like. I want to die knowing I've lived my life. I've had memories. I've created every opportunity and experience I possibly can rather than spending days in, day out of not appreciating or being in tune with my body because not every day we're going to be loving all parts of our body and that's okay. But it's finding the narrative, it's finding the language, it's finding that ability to be able to connect with ourselves on on such a deeper level, which most people aren't taught. No, absolutely not. And it's interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday in regards to people trying to create neutrality within genders and just saying that, you know, there's no such thing as masculine or feminine and the disconnection we're going to have from our bodies. And, you know, there's already a fight to embrace the body that you're in, let alone now being born and not even being sure where you physiologically stand. Yeah, I just don't see that going in the right direction. And it's right on par with what you said, because I also thought, you know, there's some people who will live up until like 40, 50, 60 years old and never really be comfortable with the skin that they're in. And the fact that we have to face that battle. And on top of that, we're now uncertain of what our genders are even going to be. I'm just like, you're just adding fuel to the fire and I'm not sure it's going anywhere, but that's another tangent. But on the note of masculine and 
and the feminine energy. Obviously, you've come into an industry where I think it's certainly getting better from an aspect of more females, a more vulnerable approach, or at least the openness to be vulnerable. How do you find that balance? Because of, like you mentioned, Ice Queen, which maybe is more associated with masculine traits in terms of being a little colder, a little bit more direct, a little bit more stern, and maybe a little bit isolated, or maybe they're not so masculine traits, but you you probably get what I'm saying there, to being so open, vulnerable, loving, which is kind of on the other, other side of the spectrum. So how are you balancing the two? And do you believe in masculine and feminine energy? Or what is your take on that? Yeah, so it's good you speak about it because it's one thing I have been working on. It's kind of hit a bit on the side note recently, but one of my best friends, she does a lot of work on masculine and feminine energy and she always pulls me up on it because naturally just by nature, I fall into more of the masculine energy in terms of goal setting, action planning, let's go, 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 doing, yeah, exactly. Whilst that's really great for me, I have moments where I'm, again, it was a few years ago where I really then started to dive into it and actually, what is the space? Like having that connection to myself on that next level. And like you said, like the vulnerability was a huge part. I think also the more connected I feel to myself in terms of when it comes to like the feminine energy, because that's the bit that I found that bit harder in terms of I'm not a typical girly girl. Yes, I like doing my hair. Yes, I like having lipstick on, but to me, that's not just the whole kind of bit embodying feminine energy, but it was for me to really kind of get to it, it took time. So for me, in terms of like connecting to myself and my feminine energy part is meditation. I don't do it all the time, but I listen to certain music that really helps bring me into this calm state. Journaling has been, and loads of people will be talking about journaling at points, but Journaling has been one of the biggest game changers when it comes to connecting to myself, to being able to express it openly, vulnerably, and to myself. It doesn't need to be to anyone else, but to really get that next level kind of inwardness, connectedness, and to make sense of emotions of how I feel. Journaling has been one of the biggest things that I, or tools that I've really used, but also doing a lot of work on breath work for example, like for me, just really kind of homing in, feeling that in my body and sitting still, which doesn't always come quite easily because I just like to go, 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 go until I'm like, okay, now I can't go. It's that whole, I, I the way I describe it is when I'm in too much of this masculine energy, I'm in kind of like a, a cloud. Like everything just seems to be coming on top of me and coming on top of me. But the moment I put this playlist on, the moment I'm journaling every night before bed, like don't get me wrong, I'm not doing it every night before bed bed all the time I do it when I feel but it's interesting when you talk about doing and being I one listened to a podcast the other day and then I've just written a little bit about it for my ladies for them on their lessons to to learn and within my uh, program but it's so interesting on the doing and the being for us as humans we are innately doers and we forget to be it's so interesting, like you said, just the being is being present without those distractions. We've either got our phone, at, like, I know I'm guilty of it. I've got the laptop up, I've got the TV on, talking to my parents. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, like you're just not, there's no, no, there's no focus. It's just doing. But I think, yeah, when you're the being for me beyond the journaling is being out in nature, mm. being out in nature or dancing around in my room however I want to go <laughs> and not having anyone watch me because I don't even know the state of my moves, but it's really just finding that freedom and knowing no one's watching, you know, and I'm just so within myself. 
Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is that we're human beings, not human doings. Mm. And I always come back to that and I'm like, it's a very good point, but it's almost like we've lost the art of being. But the fascinating thing that I find anytime I speak to someone, especially a female about embracing their feminine energy, they didn't need to go outside of themselves to find it. All those things you just mentioned were already there. Your journaling just revealed what was in your mind. Your meditation allowed you to sit with yourself. Your breath work allowed your nervous system to get into a state where you could actually feel maybe safe enough to express that. The dancing is, you don't sound like you've been to many dance classes based on what you just mentioned. (laughs) Just get a tequila um, and me, I'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, it's all just about sitting with yourself and just leaning into your intuition, which I know that you speak a lot about. So when it comes to leaning into your intuition, aside from what you just mentioned, how are you able to find what's already within you, but also how are you accepting of that? Because there might be a lot of people who then begin self-conscious or they feel unsafe when they start to let go a little bit. And they might think because of that shield was your coping mechanism. It was your protective shield. So now you're letting that down whilst trying to balance the two. So how did you create a space in which you felt safe enough in order to do that? Yeah, I think intuition has always been quite innate in terms of trusting my gut. And I'm I'm a real, I will act with what I say and what I feel like doing. I think it takes time. I think we spend so much time rushing to achieve something, to be something, to experience something that we don't allow space to really just be. And I think there's a real, and I definitely have been going through it as well, is one patience in your journey and with anything is allowing time to do, but allowing time to reflect. And when you're reflecting, it's taking those blinkers off, it's taking away all that kind of external noise, those something your mum might say or something your friends might have an opinion on. Or if I did everything my friends or anyone else told me not to do, I wouldn't be where I am. You know, um, yeah, I have good I friends and most support me where I'm at. But in terms of the connectedness, we can be so connected and so woven into opinions of what we're reading in books, opinions of podcasts, opinions of the documentary or TV show or what our friend's saying or what John down the road has an opinion on that he's spoken to me for about 20 minutes. Instead, the part is getting so connected in a quiet space that you can actually sit and you can think for yourself. Because for me, and I I do a lot of reading, but I have to have times where I'm not reading or taking any information in. And that's hard because we're surrounded by, we're constantly connected and surrounded by so much information. But those moments, that's when journaling does come in because I can reflect on my thoughts, my feelings and allow them to just be. There's no place of judgment. And I, like you said, creating that safe space of the no judgment, it takes time and it's always going to arise. Like something within your inner critic or your inner thought processes are always going to crop up and either question you. But I think it's, Creating that safe space will take time, especially when some of these things that we're talking about can be quite alien to people. Because I know from talking to my ladies about journaling, sometimes it's like, nope, uh, nope, I don't want to, like, I don't get it. And that is totally fine because it's not for everyone. We have to find our own way of doing it. Sometimes it might just be thinking as you walk. Some of the most creative moments I have or the most time, like, oh, yeah that makes sense now is when I'm actually outside in nature, like nature, there's no judgment. Nature does what it wants, weather changes when it wants. And 
I don't have to see anyone if I go on a walk in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, I need to be safe, but it's having those tools. And again, it takes time of getting to know yourself of what you like and what you don't like. And for me, I've known the things that bring me joy for a very long time. And I've been fortunate to keep creating and creating and building on those experiences. But I think, yeah, when it comes to intuition is taking away the noise, taking away the noise of all the opinions of others so you can create the safe space in order to know yourself on that deeper level. And have you done all of this work via single self-exploration or have you worked with a therapist? Or Most of it's through myself. Um, mm. So it's been through a lot of book reading, a lot of articles, a lot of podcasts, and again, a lot of self-reflection. So there's been times when relationships always seem to come up for me, but a relationship was ending and I just didn't know which way I wanted it to go. One of my best friends, she sent me this, what was it? It was a deep meditation for like 25 minutes with Joe Dispenser, I think. I think it was. It was a bit like freaky. I was just at points I was going, what is he saying? Um, (laughs) But it was all about this connection and this love and coming back to your heart. And I cried and I was going, oh my gosh, Lizzie, you've literally, you're crying and you're so connected and you've been holding this emotion in. And I journaled for an hour and a half, like nonstop. Four years ago, I wasn't really doing any of the journaling or anything like that, but I was very much a, in my head, a black and white thinker. And the stuff I've been working on today and reading through the Chimp Paradox. Have you heard of that? Yep, I haven't did. Yeah. So I've just been, I'm only at the early stages of the book, but how it talks through uh, chimp mind and human mind and how the chimp is the emotional thinker and everything like that. And the human is the rational side. So it's amazing just to kind of see all those connections. But back to your other question is I have, it was, when was it? Last year for two months, I had a mindset coach and he was amazing. He'd be something be a great person for you to talk to um but I'll and I'll send you the links to my podcast that I did with him but we had two months of an hour each week really tapping into everything mindset so it was all for my business growth but it all became about me so it was all uncovering my story my message why I'm driven to do obviously everything I'm driven why women why all of this so it's a, it challenged me But he created such a safe space that I could speak to him openly about so many things that happened. And I think it takes such a person to really open a floor of no judgment. Like, let's just talk it through. Let's see where you're at. And I think there's the taboos around therapy and things. But to talk to someone and come to conclusions by yourself from it is so insane. Like, I absolutely, I, I got so much from it. And He's a good friend now. And yeah, I think creating those spaces and, and trying things. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a real trier on new things and experimental. Like if I don't like it, I won't do it again. But at least I know I've tried it. And I did, I did, yeah, more I think about now. I did hypnotherapy last year because I just wanted to try it. I got a free session. He gave two hours of his time. And he's a 70 year old man called, I think it was Joe. And he got me into light hypnotherapy. And this again was around the relationship. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And he questioned the relationships. Have you actually been in love before? And I was like, oh my God, this is not all fitness, but whatever. It's still all of our connections on how, how we unravel, how we act in any scenario, you know? So, oh, I walked away again. I was like, so much thinking, so much 
where, where am I at now? You know, so I think all of these different things are so powerful when we start to work on the mind. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, I know that you mentioned this isn't necessarily fitness, but everything related to yourself is health and fitness, right? Like you mentioned, when you looked at your business growth from a mindset perspective, it all came back to you because you will be your own biggest bottleneck when it comes to your health and fitness, your relationships, your business, whatever you want, it stops with you. And if you've got these unresolved traumas or these situations that you haven't worked through, it's going to show up eventually. And you might be able to ignore it for a little while, but it's going to come out at some point. So you have to be willing to look and do the work. And if you can do it proactively versus retrospectively, and sometimes you do have to do it retrospectively, but as much as you can get ahead of it, I think it's a very wise thing to do. And it's just going to help you to navigate whatever situation you find yourself in. And that's going to unlock the next level of your growth. So I, I love that point on reflection. And just because I get this question all the time, what is your journaling practice? What's it actually look like? I don't have rules. I don't have time frames. I don't have anything but my pen. I have paper and I just write. I'll start either with a question to myself mm-hmm. or I'll ask myself, how's your day been? Or typically with me, there's a subject or topic or something I want to address with myself or what has happened. Why did you respond that way? So I'm always, for me, it's a real self-awareness. So I always find, I think I'm at the most self-aware I've ever been in my life and sometimes it's great sometimes I'm like will you stop thinking about these things will you just you just do it you know it's a blessing and a curse (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse but yeah for me for journaling there's no rules I won't do it every night I started to do it at one point but then there are times I just I didn't want to always turn up to do it I wasn't ready and then the moments I am is the moments that I can spend longer than 10 minutes doing it so I think for me and I think it's a good message to anyone out there is do it your way do it what works for you sometimes for me it's lighting a candle it's putting I have meditation playlists that just get me into this whole chill out zone and write what I want to write sometimes it's a couple of sentences and other times it's paragraphs and I can go on forever you know but it takes away all the emotion and the irrational side of things and by the time I finish I have come to rational thought and made sense of where I stand on certain things Yeah, my um, approach is exactly the same as yours. And I think the main thing I took away from that was that you just don't place any rules around it. And I think that it's the one place where you can just be really free. It's like, like you said, if you want to light a candle, light a candle. If you want to write three lines, write three lines. But if you want to write half a novel, write half a novel. And it's just going to come down to what your mind needs on that day. And same with me, I've literally got one journal that I've kept for like two years. And I'm like, if I was doing this the way Elliot wants to do it, he would have done this every day. And this journal should have been done years ago. But I just pick it up when I want to. And and it serves me well. It's like with meditation, I find it needs to be a daily practice for me personally to have a more effective impact. But when it comes to journaling, I'm just like, when I reach out for it, that's the best time to do it. And I think like you mentioned, it's just about not having the rules around it. With that being said, we've looked back a lot. Now I want to look forward (laughs) because if we had touched on all the things about understanding yourself and reflecting, but one thing I've heard you speak about, and I really like your framework on is goal setting. So can you run us through your goal setting framework? Because if traditionally we think about the thing that needs our immediate attention. So maybe if we need to make more money or we need to get in shape and we get singularly focused on all these things, but I know you have an approach that broadens your horizons and you focus on five specific areas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I, again, are we talking for myself or are we talking for other people? 
Start with yourself and then we can broaden out, yeah. Yeah, it depends on the person and what they're willing and ready to receive because I think some people are ready for like a way more in-depth kind of goal-setting process or placement. I think for me is, well, actually, if I look in front of me, I've got my whiteboard right in front of me and I keep it simple. So it's making sure everything's aligned with where I want to be. It's making sure I'm looking at goals at each area of my life. So I look at life as a whole. So it's not just this one be all or end all goal. I used to be very focused in terms of competitions or things like that. But for me, it's a whole life change and the things I want to achieve. So to break it down in that sense for me, it and again, applicable to everyone listening as well on this is I have health, fitness, training, that brackets all into one. Then I have work, career, business, finance into the next one. Then I have family, relationships, social come into there. And then the last one is travel, living, life, adventure, and all the fun, cool shit that we really, really want to do. So I break it all down into those parts. So I did it. I did do it for this year. Again, I don't know them all off the top of my head because I wrote a few of them uh, under each. But for me, it's so important looking at life as a whole. We get so fixated, especially within the fitness industry, about one particular goal. And I hear it so much is all around fat loss and weight loss. And when that doesn't happen, it's deemed as failure. It's deemed I'm not good enough. It's deemed I can never do this. I can never get what I want to achieve. Whereas if we start to broaden out to then zoom back in, we're going to get way more from it in the long run rather than having such a narrow focus in just one goal. So yeah, so for me, when it comes to that process, then it's just breaking it down. So typical and simple ones would be your smart goals where you'll break it down into your specific measurable. I always get the A wrong. It's not attainable. It's something else. I always forget that one. Is it achievable? Achievable. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) Same thing. And then now I've forgotten the R and timely. What's the R? Oh gosh, this is well done, Lizzie. Um, Realistic. Realistic. There we go. Thank you. I need to know how I do my goals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So yes, then I just break it all down into those is knowing for me and going back into like the intuition part again, I don't need to break down into those specific parts anymore because I know if I'm going to achieve it. If I say I'm going to do something, I will go out and I will go do it. So as long as I know, like for example, this year is the year I want to get my muscle ups. So I have every good feeling I'm going to get it. I haven't done any training towards it this year, but I will be going to do it. But last year I hired a PT who helped coach me to get there. I'm not in a rush, I think, for some of them. Do you know what? I've found my patience. I've found my maturity and my kind of goal setting experiences. And if I don't achieve something, I know it wasn't a goal worth having in the first place because I didn't want it bad enough. That's an interesting take. So this is definitely from experiences with clients is when goals aren't met, it's seen as the failure and everything like that. But I see it as the goal was set too far fetched or your why to having it wasn't enough. And it goes back to into that kind of internal dialogue that we said, how well do you know yourself in terms of what you want? Is it what other people are saying that they want that you want it to? Is it what you really want for yourself long term? Especially when I'm working with women who have kids, families, as well as jobs and their own independence and lifestyles. It's changing, again, like changing that narrative of the goal setting is 
what is it that you actually want? Like for me, my is simple. I want adventure. I want nature. I want to be strong, fit and healthy to be able to do anything that gets thrown on me in the next two to six months. I will go out and do it and just to live life simply. As long as I'm hitting those with everything I'm doing, is it, you know, like I don't, big goals come into play all the time. But as long as it all aligns with those core kind of channels of where I want those goals to be and how my life to live is essential for me on those bits. So yeah, it goes out and then it will come in onto those specific ones under those different key areas. And when the inevitable challenges and stresses come in life, how do you navigate those whilst keeping yourself focused on what you want to achieve? Depends what it is. So I think staying focused is again getting clearer. So for me, just bringing back, obviously, the move back here to the UK. The focus was to bring the business online and to be able to travel the world for this year. Beyond that, I don't know what that is. I have ideas of what it's going to look like, but I need to actually do what I say I'm going to do. So the last two months have not been what I envisioned in terms of me being like, yes, I can do this, this and this. I'm so disciplined and I can do all of these things. I didn't do hardly any of those things. And that made me question whether this was the goal that I actually wanted. But then I've come back to it. And now in front of me, my board, it's my project's focus. So literally it's three things, online coaching, adventure retreats, and my self-development of being the best female coach I can be. So I've signed up to the course that I need to sign up to this year. So I'm already going and ticking through the motions of those. The adventure retreats are planning this year and the online coaching is ongoing, especially the back end. But yeah, so for me, it came, it literally came down to a whiteboard looking at it now because I was so like dismantled with like the focus wasn't there. And I think it comes back to, especially if anyone, or if you go through such a big transformation in life and moving house or areas or whatever it is, that's the bit I wasn't ready for. Like I thought, okay, you can just copy your routine from there to there copy and paste kind of job, which was the most naive thing in the world, especially how I coach my clients. But it's always different when it's for you. So I've come out the other side and I can look back now and actually be like, I was trying to live my Singapore life in the UK. And that's just ridiculous because I don't work in a gym anymore. I am living at home in a village. I'm driving places and not cycling places. I've got to actively choose when I'm getting my steps in. Meals is an interesting thing at the moment because I'm not doing anything that I wanted to in terms of how I was eating and everything back in Singapore. So it's again, just like, it's all different aspects you've got to consider. And I think when you go through that change, you're going to have some fog. Some bits you're going to be like, what is going on? But again, it brings back down to knowing your why and patience. Like patience is the biggest thing I've had to learn in the last few months. And Writing it on that board, just those three things, I was like, they're different areas of your life. Keep it simple. And that's it. Like, stop, say it. And I'm a big one to say yes. I love saying yes to things. So it's been like, nope, turn it away. <laughs> turn it away. If it's nothing to drive you into any of these areas, I need to be so sure in what I'm saying if it's the right thing too. So I think that answers the question. Absolutely. And to transition onto a few key words that I think are synonymous with all of the content that I've seen you put out and what you've mentioned today, obviously the first is patience, but you also mentioned courage, confidence, and honesty. 
So what are your take on those? And have you come to the place where those are kind of the key words that underpin the majority of what you do? Or is that a fair assessment? That's what I gauge from I like the work it. I've seen you put out. Yeah, no, I, I like, it's nice hearing just someone else have obviously, we obviously haven't met each other before. And it's nice to actually one know that my message is coming through. Um, so that's great. So I like that. So first, I think with anything is honesty is key. Like if you're not honest, I say if you're not radically honest with yourself, how are you going to get anywhere in life if you are not honest with the things you tell yourself, with the honesty that you say you're going to do something and then you don't do it? Like obviously there's a lot of behavioral and underlying things around it, but not being honest to your friends, not being honest to your family or your coach or anything like in the wider circle. But I think honesty first and foremost has to come through yourself. And just to add to that, I think people underestimate how hard it actually is. I think most people would say, I'm super honest. I tell the truth all the time. But if you actually look into it and you take it down to even the trivial and the micro, you'll see that you're not nearly as honest as you think you are, especially with yourself. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree. And I think that's just definitely just to really highlight that part. And that's the conversations is most of my clients work with me for more than three months. And I tell them from the beginning, if we're going to really make any change, you're going to be with me for six to 12 months because three months is us just getting started. Three months is just getting you to be honest with yourself and uncover all the narratives, all the bullshit you've ever been told to actually bring all the awareness to your thought process and how you actually talk to yourself because we work in such an autonomous way. We're so automatic all the time that actually we don't know why we just did something. We don't know why we just picked up that apple or that chocolate bar or whatever it is. Like, I mean, have it all. Like, that's fine. But obviously, it's then relatable to what you want in in your life. So if you're saying you want to go be on a fat loss journey, but you're having three bags of chocolate and whatever every day, like, is that really aligning to what you're saying? So I think it's the honesty. But then I also think it's being true to your word, saying what you mean and meaning what you say. And I think that is, it takes time. And I think that's the thing that's not coached in the industry enough is to be honest with what you're saying. Like we, we can all come into goals of saying, I want to lose 5kg. Why do you want to lose 5kg? What does that one number mean to you? And what are you going to get from that number? And most don't really know how to answer it because they're not challenged on that day-to-day life of why. It's like, okay, cool. We'll go do that. Let's go get you losing 5kg. But what are you really learning from that process and how honest are you being with yourself of the importance of that weight loss, for example, you know? So I think, yeah, radical honesty is number one. You have to be so honest with yourself before you even start any journey. And also when you start, it's going to change over time. So you'll remember what you said to yourself six months before and six months later down the line, you're like, Huh, that was funny. I said that, but I didn't, really <laughs> you know, but then you wouldn't because you haven't had the tools to understand or kind of delve into that even more. Yeah. Or you won't be challenged. I mean, I think it's only when you kind of get started, right? These things seem nice in theory, but all of a sudden you realize I wanted that goal, but actually I don't have the capacity, nor do I want to do all the work to get there. And in some ways that's absolutely fine. It's just like, funnily enough, it comes back to just being honest with yourself and saying, well, actually my work rate, I remember actually having a conversation with a client who just wrapped up his fat loss phase and he obviously wanted to maintain his physique thereafter, but he also wanted to go out with the boys and have beers and stuff like that. And like, you've got to pick one or the other, right? You can have both, but you've got to accept that the beers come with maybe a few extra kilos. 
And you've just got to pick which sacrifice you're willing to have. And if you see that you are leaning more towards those beers, you've just got to be okay with accepting that you're not going to be as tight within your physique. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't stay in denial and try and get the best of both worlds and end up feeling torn between the two. Um, And I think most people's actions speak louder than words. And, you know, like you said, it's just a case of not them knowing, but them accepting that that is their truth versus them not actually knowing. I think they always know. They just have a tough time of accepting the truth. But courage comes next. Yeah. So I think courage and confidence come together, but courage comes first. So in order for us to build and have confidence, we need to take those steps of courage or step into courage to then have the confidence that then comes with it. So for me, when it comes to courage, we could be doing this on a day-to-day basis, you know, like even walking into the gym, that can be so terrifying. And for me, I've been working in a PT studio for the last six years. So coming into a commercial gym space and training myself, I actually was quite intimidated, like in terms of walking in there. But for me, it took courage to then build the confidence into how I walk into the gym now. And that's someone coming from me as a coach. So it's now opened my eyes even more into what women actually do experience when it can be, or my particular gym was so male dominated. Like 3.30, 4 p.m., I was the only girl in the room with like 20, 25 guys. And I was just like, Jesus, Mm. you know? So um, when it comes to courage, I think there's so many different elements around it. And I think you can be challenging yourself every single day and stepping into courage to gain that confidence into anything you do and to reaffirm that it is okay in spaces where you feel uncomfortable because it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to feel nice and hard work is going to require you to be brave, step into that or step out of that comfort zone to achieve those things. And courage, words that come to mind is resilience, building resilience on a day-to-day basis, but also out of your normal kind of living space, like your workspace, your friendship groups. Like how often are you challenging yourself to, it's like a muscle, build your resilience, build your courage. When you practice it more and more, you're going to then get more confident as you step into those places where you find the courage. And I think it's so important. Like it's something for me and I always say, and I push all my clients to do it is do something new, do something that scares you. And like, I wouldn't push people, wouldn't push them to do it if I didn't believe there was a benefit to it. And it's something I've done throughout my whole life. And I will go and try something new and I'll be a beginner at something new. One, I find I do get amused by myself when I can't do something. So I get, I find it funny. Obviously not on everyone else's level, they will find it funny. They'll, it could be disheartening. It could knock their confidence. It could make them feel discouraged. But my message when it comes to that is find the fun in it. Stop looking at it too seriously and go have fun. Go enjoy being a beginner. Be brave enough to be a beginner and suck at something new because that is where the magic is going to happen. That's where the courage is going to build and that's where the confidence is going to grow. And I think, um, or I feel is it's every time it happens every time. Like for me, one of the, one big thing I started doing wakeboarding and wake surfing in Singapore over the lockdowns and COVID. And I'd never have done it before because Singapore is tiny and I was traveling in Asia all the time. 
but because there wasn't much else to do on a really small island, that's what I started to do. And the first time I went wakeboarding, it was actually a joke. I wish I had video footage of it. I was so determined that I was like a little child. I was like, not back down, get back up. But my friend could not stop laughing at me because <laughs> even just being like as a sports person, like I like to get things like as quick as I can. Like I like to yeah. just be like, yeah, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. And I'm not even joking. I had, we had a three hour kind of stint and I still, I did it like continuously for three hours on this platform. And all I did was go off full flat on my face, go off full flat on my face. And she later told me that there were three areas. So there was a beginner stage. There was a, like a other bit where they can help control the speed. She took me on the one where the speed does not stop. I couldn't <laughs> learn. And I didn't realize until like we'd finished, but one, when I was doing it, I was kind of glad because there wasn't that many people that day, but I actually found it hilarious. I was like, if someone, if I could see myself and I obviously like just falling over face plant, face plant, face plant, face plant, I had to get out, haul myself up. Next person was looking and they're all smiling. And I was like, brilliant. Like for me, I was just like, I was laughing with them because I was just like, this is like, everyone's a beginner at some point. So if they're smiling, they just know exactly how you go and talk to people about how can I get better? What can I do? And like within that three hours, I then eventually got halfway around the course. That was great. So I was like, okay, cool. You've got further than the platform. That's awesome. You know, and then I went every week for like 10 weeks to build that up. And then over that course of time, I then had breaks and stuff in between. But within a few months, I was on the jumps and I learned it quick after that. But the message is I went there to go have fun. There was no judgment whatsoever. I didn't put any high expectations of myself. I put the bar so low because I was like, I've never done this shit before. I have no idea what I'm going to be like. I have like this first, like the first go, if I'd been discouraged of my performance on that day, which was shocking, but unbelievably hilarious. The next day I couldn't walk like for three days. Like my body was battered, but everyone's probably like, why did you go back? But because I had so much fun because I just laughed. I laughed at the failures and I laughed at the face plants. And I think it applies to everything in life. You know, like it's, if you can't laugh and have fun with things and you're going to take it too seriously, you're going to be discouraged every single time. Yeah, it's highly likely if you wanted to just be really proficient at it, you probably wouldn't have gone back, right? Or you would have gone back, but probably with just frustration and just wanting to yeah. get it done, which ironically probably would have impacted your performance further. Yeah, and I think it goes back again to what we said is stop trying to rush it. Find the patience in it. And f- when you find the patience, you can actually just be. You're not doing, you're just being in the moment and that's and that's again why I loved it and the same with like the wake I did wake surfing I wasn't on my phone I was for three hours four hours wasn't on my phone and I was learning tricks and I was again like falling flat on my face and but then I was also watching what other people were doing I'd just sit there and I was watching I was like how are they doing that and then like get told or shown different things on how to do it you know so I think it's and that's a big part of my message is get busy living we've only got one shot on this planet and I'm not for me personally I'm not going to waste it worrying about all the petty and small little things in life obviously they do arise at points like I'm human so they do come up I'm not some (laughs) sort of woman on that (laughs) part but as often as I can I am practicing all of those things is being doing but also stepping into being a beginner and I think that is one of the biggest things that anyone can do but just set that bar so low that you're going to achieve something you know no expectations you can go so far with it 
Yeah, I think a couple of key points you mentioned there was uh, another one was humility. Just being humbled by something, oh gosh, and yeah. it then opens up your appreciation for all these other things. And like you said, we don't really get the opportunity to be beginners at things when it comes to being adults. And I think it comes down to fear. I almost think that people have this confusion of thinking that bravery somehow is the absence of fear. But I think fear precedes bravery, yeah. right? It's doing it in spite of being scared as opposed to doing it without there being anything that scares you, right? And I think overcoming that, understanding that you're fearful for a reason, but like I said, if you can lean into the being aspect of it and then be prepared to be humble, be prepared to be student, be prepared to be curious about those things, then you, you're going to probably go a long way. Yeah. No, and I think it is. It's, uh, it doesn't matter where you are on your journey. And I definitely think that stumbles with me sometimes when it comes to coaching. Like I'm a professional and I've got my education, I've got my experience, but I'm always willing to have those conversations, ask those questions. There's going to be so many things that I don't know the answers to and, you know, and I think that is so important. We just need to have those lessons and learn and yeah. All of that. Yeah. All of that. <laughs> All of it. I've got a couple of uh, final questions for you. I'm going to try and keep these ones pretty quick. But on the note of you being quite well read, I think you've read a fair few books. So I'm keen. And this might be like choosing your favorite child. So forgive me for this I know, question. I've, I've but... got all my books in front of me. So I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Which would you say have, I'm not going to ask what your favorites are, but what have had the most impact on you? Which books have you read that have had the most impact on your life? Okay. I'm looking at them now as we, uh, as we go. So I think for me, one is, there's one called Emotional Agility mm. called Susan. By Susan David. Yes. Yeah, she is, a great book. Yeah. I read that a couple of years ago whenever I read it and I send it to my clients to read because we are not taught and I always, it's another conversation, but around school, around in our youth, we're not taught to manage our emotions, to understand our emotions. And it comes back into what we said before with the chimp paradox is chimp mind and human mind. So how do we understand emotion, irrational thoughts to emotional rigidity? You know, like it's how do we then overcome that? How do we make sense of those feelings, thoughts and everything to move through that space? And obviously big thing with her and how she talks about as youth is how adults talk to our kids and with emotions and and everything like that. And I think that had a profound effect in terms of one, how I speak, but two, how I handle my emotions, how I catch myself in moments of madness or stress or like reaction, reaction versus response. So I think, yeah, her book and her messaging and her research and education, I think is huge. And it's such an easy read. She puts it in such a way that all the research is so understandable, you know, like you can make sense of it and you can apply it. Because I mean, there's so many books out there. And that's one thing I do with reading is when I'm reading, I have the takeaways and I have something I'm going to apply and I'm actually going to use with that book because it's so easy to read. But if we're not actually taking any action, we're just consuming more information and it goes into that play of you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not going to act on any of that knowledge, wisdom doesn't come close. Yeah, I call it the self-development trap. Almost just reading the book makes you feel like I've got the answers, I've made the progress. And then on the other hand, you're like, well, I've got some answers here, but the next lot of answers I need must be in the next course and the next book. And the reality is, is you just need to apply action with the learnings that you took. So book number two. Book number two. Yeah, it really it depends because I always have certain books for different moments and points of my life that actually 
they speak to me. You know, like I always, I look at my shelf on that month of when I finish a book, I look at what do I want to learn today or this month or what do I, what's speaking to me? I'm just kind of creating space there because I can't actually um, think of which one it is. There's so many. I'll speak on that whilst you choose your second one, but I agree. Funnily enough, I quite often get asked like, how do I choose the books that I want to? And then if I come across maybe an interview with an author, I'll be like, oh, I like the sound of that. So I might put it on my list or I might download it on Audible. And then when it comes to choosing, I'm like, which one is calling me? Which one is speaking to me? And that's how I choose. And it just depends on the moment in my life at the time. Okay, so there's one I'm reading now, or it's an Audible actually, um, but I've got her book to read the physical because I love my highlighter and I love then seeing the words. But it is it's something that really challenges me and my thought processes, and it's something that I really want to be a part of in the journey for women. Um, it's called Your Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. So she is um, a woman from the US who she's a black woman from the US who focuses and talks around what it is about fat like kind of breaking down all of uh, the shaming factors and language that comes around being a black fat woman but obviously not just focusing on her journey but she opens up this whole conversation and these conflicts and um, she talks about uh, body terrorism and how she's had to defy through so much adversity on topics like this, like on you'll see on her book, her even her front cover is her naked and just areas covered up. And apparently the editor was like, no, why are we going to do this? This is not something we can do. And the challenge that she has shown with people of color, everything of um, like transgender to whether you're gay, lesbian, like whatever it is within this world, she's challenging the narratives, challenging the conversation. She's educating around it. And for me, it's a game changer. Like I can't wait to actually read the books. I like seeing the words, but just her message and just putting herself out there leads the way to have these conversations and helps. For me, I think it's and something I've been doing over again, the COVID period is really addressing my biases when it comes to, am I fat phobic? To people of color. And it's really fascinating in how she, the language she talks about it, and it gives you a lot more, it's given me a lot more confidence in how I approach such topics, especially highlighting my privilege as a white woman and understanding where I stand within all of these elements. So it's super interesting and key in terms of things that I'm trying to change and work with on how I work with my women from all around the world. And how do I work with someone with a disability? Am I appealing to someone with a disability who I can help navigate the world and be in their world, but also make changes that need to be made? So I think for me, that's put me out of my comfort zone almost just talking about it now because for so long trying to find words of how I feel is quite hard because I've never had to address such things like Sonia has or people alike with her. So I think it's put me out there and this is the first I've talked about it as well, but it's really just kind of broadening that message. And I think it's a, it's a really powerful book. I was just about to say, it sounds very powerful. And it's also a very good sign that you're living out radical honesty and courage, right? You wouldn't be looking into a book like that unless you were willing to do the work and be courageous enough to accept that there is a certain level of privilege and potentially you might have overlooked it 
and you could easily just neglect even looking at it and not accept it or you can face it straight in the eye and it might be uncomfortable but you're probably going to 100% you'll grow from it so book number three Oh, book number three. How many more have I got to go? <laughs> Last one. <laughs> Last one. Okay. So there is the classic book, which a lot of people talk about, um, is Atomic Habits. Mm, so this choice. is this book is more so around with how I manage and how I work with clients. So the way James Clear, again, navigates his book and how it's so easy to digest and apply. Because I think that's the thing with this book. If you're reading and not applying through each chapter, stop reading. That you're not ready for it. So you've got to understand. But I like with anything in how we talk about behavioral change comes with habits and understanding habits. Then you can start making those long-term sustainable changes within your life that are going to be with you until you're 80, you know, or till you die or whatever like that. So this book for me is like the Bible. And I think it's something that I will always refer to. And I think power of it is huge. But like we said, if you don't apply what you're learning, then it's literally just too much information overload and you're not going to get anywhere with it. So it's always the right time. But that's one of the one books that I always go back to uh, for that. And there's one more book. I found another one, which is Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. Read that one? I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with Brene Brown's work. Yeah. So I think just this one in itself is amazing for anyone starting out on their journey. For me, it's stepping into the arena and finding the courage and having the courage to step into the arena, even when everyone's watching you and maybe saying you're not going to succeed or you're not going to, you might fail at it, but you're stepping into the arena with courage, knowing that yes, it's the unknown. Yes. Maybe I, I don't know where or what I'll do or achieve, but I'm stepping into this place of discomfort and I'm going to go for it. And I think just the book in itself just really resonates with the message into daring greatly and going after everything you want and stepping into that arena. You have sold that well. And I hope everyone <laughs> listening is taking notes on that one. And to come back to Atomic <laughs> Habits is my most recommended book as well. It, it's almost hard to believe that such a positive book on habits has been released in 2018. You would think, oh, it must be like an old book or something. But it, it's it, for it to be so recent and so compelling and so powerful as well, it's, it's quite amazing. But thank you for sharing those. That's amazing. That's okay. And my final question for you today is what impact do you want to have on the health and fitness industry? Oh, okay. So I think we've covered it on so many, in so many words and so many levels. The impact that I want to have is to change the narrative for women to step into the arena with courage to be uniquely them and true to themselves no matter what. And with that, they're going to be able to live their life on their terms, but they're going to cherish everything they love and put a life and a legacy that they can remember. And with me, I'll just sprinkle the dust of adventure because I think everyone needs a bit of adventure in their life. <laughs> Beautiful answer. And I like that little twist at the end. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to dive more into your world or potentially work with you or get involved with the mission that you're on? Yeah, awesome. My uh, Instagram handle is the best, um, which is at Lizzie Wrighty. Lizzie Wright was taken because there's apparently several Lizzie Wrights, which really inf infuriates me. Um, no, I'm sure they're all amazing women. But uh, Lizzie Wrighty is the, is the handle. And then I've just put my website up. So the business that I've created or in the process of really delivering the website is wearebeyondstrong.com. So brings the whole message and everything. You are more than just a training program. You're more than just losing body weight or body fat. 
you are beyond strong and you are capable of anything that you put your mind to, dream for and want to achieve. So yeah, we are beyondstrong.com. And you have the Project Woman podcast? Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> and, thank you. And uh, Project Woman podcast, yeah, so I host that with one of my clients. Uh, we set that up a year ago now and that's all about connecting real women, real stories, also with professionals as well. Uh, so we get a nice blend and mix of both worlds, but really creating a space to learn and be educated, but also hear from women who have done incredible things. And to the rest of the world, they might be nobody. But we want to give them kind of that platform to be able to show how incredible they are and how impactful their story can be just to one person. Amazing. All of that will be linked in the show notes. And Lizzie, thank, thank you. you so much for being no so open, so vulnerable, so forthcoming with your wisdom and your own journey. I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for that. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.